0: Welcome to the Seek Podcast. We are so glad you're here. I'm Erin Falbo, your host for this season. Each week, we're sharing content that dives into the heart of the gospel, who God is, who we are, and what it means to live in relationship with him. We're excited to walk with you as you encounter the Lord.
1: We are so happy to be back with you guys. Let's, uh, let's open with a prayer, and then we'll jump into just offering what we've prepared for you in the heart of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Holy Spirit, we ask you to be here with us. To move through this room and to arrange our hearts. Just the way you wish. That we could receive wisdom, light, truth, freedom. We could learn the mercy of God and live it. Come Holy Spirit, fill us. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Yeah, again, you guys, just such a joy uh, to be with you. We were able to give a talk four years ago at SEEK 2019 on healing through forgiveness. And what we wanted to do this year is not repeat that talk, but develop it. And so, the way we prayed into what we want to offer you represents kind of a dovetail with the things we offered last year or four years ago. So, we're not going to cover all the details of forgiveness. What we're going to do is offer you a couple of insights that complement what's already out there and then point out a couple of resources to help you move deeper into what is right at the center of, of the gospel call in terms of changing the way we relate to people around us who have hurt us, people that we refer to as our enemies. Now, forgiveness, as we know, it's commanded by Christ. We hear it in the scripture, but it's also one of those things that we're like, okay, Jesus told me I have to forgive, but I don't know how. Like, how do I forgive? How do I know if I've forgiven? Why is forgiveness so hard? We want to come into all of that with you today and hopefully offer you a couple of ideas and pathways so that forgiveness can become a reality for you, something that you live and something that brings you to freedom. Mm
0: -hmm. And considering why you came today and all, all the impact sessions that you could go to, just thinking of your hearts of why you came here. And I would imagine you came here today because either there's an area of your life like we all have, we all have parts of our life where we have a hard time forgiving other people. And maybe it's something that you've been working on for a long time and you find yourself saying, I I wanna forgive that person, but then I saw them at Thanksgiving and got mad all over again, you know? Or maybe you know somebody who is struggling with forgiveness. So just to kind of give space to your heart here and kind of notice what's happening in, in your life and what we're going to talk about today as Father's saying are really a consolidation of the many questions we've been asked over the years about forgiveness as we give and talks together and both separately about these realities. What is forgiveness? So really today we're going to speak in a crystallized way about what keeps us stuck in unforgiveness and what exactly forgiveness is.
1: So to kind of set the broadest frame uh, in the words of Christ, this this scripture from Isaiah 61 is is a proclamation and a promise from the Lord of the way that he's going to come into the brokenness of the world and, and rescue it. Christ would repeat this word to his brothers and sisters in the synagogue and after he finishes reading this part of the prophets he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The promise of God to come into the places in life and in the world and in our hearts where we are afflicted, where we are broken hearted, where we feel like there's no liberty or where we've been captive or or placed captive by others. And so it's this banner we want to hold up to you about how Christ comes into the places where we feel afflicted, broken, broken hearted, and imprisoned. And to, to get at that, And to get at what it means for that to be fulfilled, to experience and participate in the life of God, which brings us into freedom, we have to just acknowledge the places where we don't feel like we're in freedom. Mm -hmm. And what we'll usually find, and we'll trace this out with you, but at the base, unforgiveness and a lack of freedom usually sit right side by side. That when we're holding on to unforgiveness, we're also not free. We're, We're captive, we're slaves, we're trapped. And that the tension for us, but also what starts to reveal a pathway for us, is that we have been brokenhearted, we have been made captive or imprisoned by other people. There, there's a who to the captivity or the lack of freedom that we experience. Now, there's grace here in all of this, and everything we're going to present to you is on our side of the equation. How can we receive the grace to cooperate with what God's trying to do? Grace is just God's gift to us, right? To to help us look more like him, to live more like him, to live the freedom that is glorious for the sons and daughters of God, as St. Paul says. And so God gives us this grace to, to be free, to participate in his mercy, to live in the freedom of Christ Jesus. But grace comes into our human nature to elevate it, to perfect it, to make us like God. And our human nature's wounded by sin. And in the midst of that wounding by sin, we experience other wounds from people all around us, people who break our hearts, people who make us captive, people who shatter our lives, break our dreams apart. And so the gift of grace comes into us from God, but it meets all kinds of resistance within us. That underneath the surface of a wounded heart is this tangled up landscape of all the brokenness and all the pain and all the sorrow we've suffered. And so grace, as it were, has a hard time getting to the roots, or we have a hard time welcoming that gift and responding to it. Because underneath the surface in our hearts, we're often holding on tight to our captivity in fear and in pain, holding on to the bars of whatever keeps us captive or onto the throat or the collar of whoever keeps us captive, our enemies, those who've hurt us. So one way of explaining forgiveness in this light then, especially in the light of the promise of God, is that it's a manner of dealing with forgiveness, it's a manner of dealing with our pain and dealing with our enemies Mm -hmm. as Christ does. Dealing with those who have hurt us the way that Christ deals with those who mocked, rejected, scorned, abused, hurt him.
0: I think when asking ourselves kind of why, um, there we go, of why bother? And when you're thinking about this and you might be already thinking of somebody in your life, like who do I need to forgive? Or like that person that you just keep thinking of, why bother? Like what does it really matter? And we know that Christ commands us to forgive of all the things that Jesus could have told his disciples when they say, Lord, teach us how to pray. In the heart of it, and we say it every day, and it just is so striking how often we kind of gloss over it, but we say it every day, you know, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And that is a staggering statement. And what the Lord is inviting us to, he's inviting us to deep places of the heart. And can I just say to you, if there's people in your life that you've been struggling to forgive, it's because those places go very deep. So much so, as you see in the catechism quote there, catechism 2843, which we're going to come back to at the end, it says it is there, in fact, it's talking about the heart, the biblical nature of the heart, which is the core or center. It is there, in fact, in the depths of the heart that everything is bound and loosed. So to really become free, this is not a matter of just mere words or lip service. It's it's an exacting, it's heroic. It's allowing the Lord to go to the deep places of our hearts, my dear friends, because what happens in our hearts matters. And so what's going on deep within you matters. And and this is kind of the point where You know, we kind of, like St. Paul, the Sadducees tell St. Paul, we'd like to hear you on this matter some other time. You know, it's like, just give me like eight steps to a better life. I wish it worked like that, but it doesn't. It's a tremendously beautiful journey. It's a tremendously beautiful journey. So the Lord is inviting you, if you're willing, just if you're willing, just if you're willing to go to the depths, just step by step and just little by little, and to allow him to bring you um, into his own heart there.
1: So I want to offer to you uh, a little bit of what the tradition gives us on the emotional life because when we start to confront forgiveness and notice that we've tried it it didn't work we go right back to feeling how we did we go right back to being captive to these intense emotions that are painful what we discover beneath the surface that that tangled up landscape of the heart is that there's all these twisted up emotions but the emotions especially thomas aquinas has helped us understand the emotions don't totally escape reason like we can actually understand what's happening in us and emotionally when we've been hurt And and Thomas Aquinas, he's he's always our source on this. He teaches on anger as as the most complex of the emotions. And anger and forgiveness are directly related. But the way he teaches on anger's complexity, it's just so beautiful. I get a little nerdy here, so bear with me. But like the way that anger is composed is of multiple other simpler emotions. He says anger is a complex emotion composed of simpler and kind of like ontologically prior basic emotions. And those basic emotions are sorrow and desire for revenge or vengeance. These two, along with the hope to have that revenge, kind of make up this more complex emotion of anger. But what's so important to hold on to there is that sorrow is really the more fundamental of the complex emotions here. Sorrow laments a present evil. When something has gone wrong, someone that we love has hurt us or, or things have fallen apart because of someone else's wrongdoing, we lament that, that evil of the injustice and, and we become sad. Thomas says anger only comes about if the passions rise to confront the cause of sorrow. If we have an emotional response that wants to get rid of what's making us sad, then we have anger. Then what happens to us, as though that was not already complex, that sorrow's inside of anger, what becomes tense is we have a memory and we have an imagination, which are great gifts, but also a great cross to us in many times. And what we tend to do is remember the injury and play it over and over and over in our minds, revisiting what the person did to us, which causes us to feel again the sadness about the evil and the anger by which we say, look what you did to me, give it back, you better suffer for what you did, and we start to cycle into these emotions. Then we imagine getting back at the person who hurt us, we fantasize about revenge, we ache for it, we become obsessed with getting to them, telling them what they did, hurting them for the way they hurt us, and as these two things kind of play back and forth in our minds, We feel again the intense emotions that are at the base of anger, sorrow and desire for revenge and so anger intensifies into what we call resentment. And etymologically, resentment, the word, it just means to feel again, sentire is is the Latin root, to feel, re, again. Resentment, which is what we hold toward our enemies when it becomes bitter. Resentment is just a re-feeling and a settling of the sorrow and the anger that started us off as simple and basic emotions that, that now have become vicious. And all of a sudden it can become really complex to try and come through a deep and settled grudge-filled resentment. So I wanna lay that out for you as just like the landscape of a, a wound, an, inalo- an emotional wound, what happens in the heart. Then what becomes tense for us is, is because uh, revenge is such an attractive idea, we can become obsessed. It becomes an ache, a desire, and it can even possess us. It can drive us to, to fantasize about getting back at someone in ways that just become so disordered and unhealthy. That ache we'll address a little bit later, wanting to take an eye for an eye, which Christ counseled us against. But I wanna just point out as a remedy for intense anger, and so also an aid to forgiveness, is this subtler treatment of sorrow. That if sorrow is inside of anger, a part of often what makes our anger really intense and thus also makes forgiveness difficult is that we have a lot of unlamented sorrows. We have a lot of things that have gone wrong that we just haven't grieved theologically. And lamentation is a profoundly theological act and and filled with like a raw, real expression to God of emotion. It's different from rejecting God, mocking, scorning, or closing off to God. It's sitting down in the midst of all the stuff that's gone wrong and, and crying out to God to say, God, you weren't there. Where were you? What kind of God are you? And I'm angry about it because what we're actually doing there isn't rejecting god but making a statement of faith what we're professing there is that god could have done something else and he didn't so we're actually professing god's omnipotence and his omniscience and we're lamenting that he didn't do what we wanted and that very activity when it's in the framework of prayer we see it in scripture right there's a book called lamentations the psalms are full of lamentation when we lament these deep and painful places often that empties out some of the power of sorrow which then weakens the intensity of the anger that's fueling the resentment and the forgiveness process becomes a lot simpler. If that hasn't happened, we get stuck in unforgiveness very easily.
0: And you might find even as you look at this slide, you kind of start to notice just maybe some areas of your life where you find yourself stuck. I mean, if you think of somebody in your life right now who's really difficult to forgive and somebody who's really difficult to love, even if it's something that you can't identify as anger yet, but just the places where we just don't like people, or I think all of us have a secret group of people that we just we think we're better than they are. <laughs> and and that's it's a form of telling us something about our heart, where our hearts are out of order and our hearts have been broken. And many times we can't make sense of that. And and like Father's saying, the emotions are just kind of overwhelming to us and we don't under, we don't understand what's happening and we just want to try harder or manage it or just wish it would go away. And it doesn't just go away. So you might find as you look at the list, you might find that it is tempestuous emotions or it's the ache for revenge or it's hatred of the other, hatred of yourself. It's amazing how much self-hatred where we we hate the the creature that God has made and we hate what we've done and we hate who we are and it just keeps us mired in this place of massive unforgiveness and deep sorrow or we hate the other person who's hurt us. And I just want to tell you, there's a difference between the passion of hatred that hates the evil that somebody has done unto us, and then hating the person. And how many times have we easily said, I hate that person? I hate them, I will never forgive them. And, and compounding that is all these lies and judgments that we have, we believe about ourselves. Because in every act, every wound has a message. Every wound that you have in your life has a message. And so many times what happens is the, the messages are not usually from God, they're from the enemy and the lies say things like, I deserved it. I'll never be well. I'm stupid. I'm ugly. It's my fault. And we make judgments about the person who hurt us. And it's amazing how easy we make these. We just say, they didn't care. They're such jerks. They're so selfish. God doesn't love me. And we just fire these things off without even realizing what we're saying in our hearts. And what they're telling us is that our hearts are in deep areas of pain. And, and we just get stuck in a cycle over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And so what the Lord is doing is he's inviting us to something much deeper than that because he's teaching us how to, as we encounter his heart, to how to release these things. We're not getting over anything. You're not here today to get over something. You and I are here today to move through, to move through it with Jesus.
1: And the moving through to move upward, upward into into Christ-likeness. Sometimes in in theology, we'll speak about revenge as, as kind of an instinct that's natural to humanity and mercy as something that's not instinctual, that isn't natural to us in the same way, that it actually is a gift, it's God working in us to teach us to go a different way. That the road of revenge kind of points us downward into setting things up the way we think they should be set up and retaliating. The road of mercy moves upward, upward into imitation of God until eventually we're able to see, as it were, like through the lens of God, these people who have hurt us. We, we take on the divine perspective where we sit in enemy stance before those who've hurt us. Forgiveness, mercy leads us to look past the front and into a heart that's also broken and needs salvation. And that's a very high form of virtue. That's a very high form of Christ-likeness and it doesn't happen automatically. God gives us his grace supernaturally touching upon our nature to raise it up, but we have to make a choice. We have to make a choice to look around and say, this, the way I'm living, it's not, it's not working. I can't keep dragging this stuff around. I can't get past it myself. So I wanted to just sit with this Augustine quote for a second here. He points out that, that God created you without asking you. That wasn't up to you. But, but God wants to save you and he's not gonna do that without you. Because of his reverence for the will and his desire, not just that you be saved, but that you participate in his saving gift and respond to it in love.
0: One of the things that Father Jacques-Philippe, if you're a Father Jacques-Philippe fan, one of the questions that he asks his readers and asks his listeners is, you know, when we talk about these things, and these are very tender things, and just to, just to honor your heart there, these are very tender things, and they take time, and, and one of the beautiful things that he often offers to his listeners and to his readers is that he said, many times you and I in our life, we ask why, and you might be sitting here today saying, Why? Like, why did God allow this to happen to me? Like, why did my dad do that? Like, why, how, why do I have this struggle? Why, why, why? And he said, you know what? That's a perfectly natural question. But he said, ultimately, the spiritually mature person doesn't want to keep asking why. Because we may or may not know that. We will know that in full when we see God face to face. We may or may not know that now, here on earth. But he said, the spiritually mature person wants to ask this question, how will I respond now? How will I respond now? And that is what St. Augustine is asking us. You know, that, that Jesus comes, he, he, he comes to invite us. He's not going to save us without us. So I just want to just invite you, my dear friends, even if just in a small way, as you hear these things and you walk through this in your heart, how would you like to respond now? Because every single one of us, we do not have to leave this auditorium today the same way we walked in. But there's there's always a small step forward. So how would you, just as you listen, how would you like to respond?
1: In the framework of response, and again, Christ-likeness or, or coming into the freedom, the life, the love that, that we hear proclaimed as both the keynotes last night pointed out to us, like this great offering of God that sometimes just hits us and, and bounces right off or ricochets off, as Sister said. What, what we want to help you with here is to point out that, that underneath the surface of a heart that's always ricocheting is that complex set of tangled up emotions and a set of decisions that we can and and have to make if we want to experience the freedom of Christ in living mercy in living forgiveness. So These are eight features on two slides we're gonna present you with, and they represent a pretty concrete pathway to being able to answer the question, how do I forgive and how do I know if I've forgiven? I just think in in my own experience, probably yours too, we know many times along the way, we've noticed that we aren't feeling very forgiving, or we haven't forgiven, we have to forgive, we don't know how, we try, it doesn't work, and we ask, how do I do this? And sometimes the response is just, well, I'll try again, or I'll try harder, keep trying. And sometimes what's happening there is we're just cycling because we haven't gotten into the deeper places, which demand of us entail a confrontation of a ton of, of pain, a ton of injustice, a ton of stuff that hurts, so it's a very raw endeavor. But, but the key is that, that on our side of the equation, there's a lot we can actually do to, to dispose ourselves, to receive this gift that God gives to us, which just makes us more like him. Like the whole of the Christian life is just about the reproduction of Jesus in souls, Archbishop Martinez says, that God is giving us grace to just help us look like and live like Jesus. And anywhere in our life where we're not living like Jesus, we're gonna find an absence of joy, an absence of the fruits of the Spirit. We're gonna find sorrow, bitterness, and a, a tendency toward the things of division, ultimately the things of hell. Where we move out of those places into a heart like Christ's, which is a forgiving heart, we begin to experience freedom. So these features, while they're on the human side of the equation, they also tell us a little bit of something about what's happening in Christ's heart as he confronts his enemies, and then what we can do to look more like Christ. The first very simple thing, but to just remind you that that forgiveness is an act of the will, first and foremost. Regardless of how you feel about the forgiveness process or about your enemies, like you might be full of rage. You might desire their destruction, but that doesn't mean you can't choose to forgive. That the emotions and the will don't have to, they're not always gonna be moving in the same direction. The will is a higher faculty. It's the faculty for the good. And we're free to live like God or unlike God. And so we can make a choice right at the beginning of the process to look at our enemies and say, I I choose a different way. I choose forgiveness. Even if I don't feel great about it, even if I don't feel at all an ounce of love toward my enemies, I choose to begin the forgiveness process. And then from there we point out, as I said, it's a process. And in that process, we recognize that it begins in the heart, but we define forgiveness as a virtue. And here we rely upon the tradition again, which teaches us that that when we practice virtue, we become better. And virtue helps us to to like good things and to, to be better at doing good things. And so the virtues dispose us to goodness in a specified way here, over and against the resentment and the retaliatory posture we have toward our enemies. And the virtues take a long time to acquire. So Christ himself when he's asked about forgiveness it's 70 times seven times indicating that this is going to be something that we have to work at it doesn't happen automatically and over time with practice like all the other virtues it deepens it stabilizes it gets easier and it actually becomes Thomas tells us more enjoyable to practice the virtues including the virtue of forgiveness that while you might be shattered by pain right now or that the weight of it might feel way too heavy If you go down this road and walk with the lord and practice over and over and over again the way of mercy you'll actually begin to enjoy what it is to live a merciful life what it is to to look at enemies and say i know you did what you did and it's horrible but i I'm, i'm gonna i'm gonna move into a place eventually of wanting to to labor for your salvation with god
0: gosh you know and i think this is oh this is such good news And it might might seem like it's a very daunting and overwhelming thing, but this is such good news because that means that there is a way through our pain. And that the things that have happened to you, those things matter. And that things that have broken your heart, they matter. And so part of the forgiveness process that might seem very daunting, especially, is actually taking a full inventory of what that person has done to you and how it's hurt you and many times it's right here, my dear friends, we wanna say, ah, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal. Or, you know, they didn't mean it, they did the best they could, or it was a long time ago. And, and yes, I just wanna say, especially in regards to your parents, that's one of the first self-defense mechanisms that we often have is, you know, my parents did the best they could. I just wanna tell you today that your parents, they did the best they could. They did with what they had, just like you and I do with what we have. And we can also admit the places where we've hurt each other, and we can be both honoring and honest about both of those things, that's very important. And part of coming to, my dear friends, part of naming these things, it's important because what it does is it allows the pain to be released and it allows the truth to be told. So it is sitting down with the person that's hurt you and making a list in a journal of just what did they do? What did they do and how did it hurt you? And going point by point, because many times we're trying to forgive people in totality, but how forgiveness works is it's forgiving each offense because each offense matters. And in that, what happens over time is that as we begin to see the truth of who we are and who the other person is, and we allow the lamentation to come forth and the sorrow to come forth and the anger to come forth, and we allow the truth to be born into our hearts, what happens is as we begin to choose to leave the battle posture, because I think let's be very honest: the people that you're really angry with, I'm angry with, we're, mostly we're like this—like <laughs> this is how we're like, come at me, bro, come at me, you know—and we always have our armor up. And you know what? Just. The, I know this is true for me think about the people that are really hard to forgive in your life or the people that have hurt you usually why we cling to unforgiveness is because we don't want to be hurt anymore and what you and I are being asked to do is to lay down our armor and it's not to say that if I do this I'm going to be hurt again we're laying down our armor so Jesus can give us his armor of his sacred heart so he teaches us how to love But that is a choice that you and I have to make. At some point, we have to be willing to put down the pitchfork, to put down the battle posture, to put down the passive aggressiveness, or just the outright, you know, contempt we have, which is all of our own ways of desperately trying to get our hearts to stop hurting. Saint Saint Ambrose, one of my favorite quotes from Saint Ambrose is this: "We will never heal ourselves by wounding another. We will never heal ourselves by wounding another." And at some point, my dear friends, you and I have have to make a decision. Will we lay down the battle posture? And it's very difficult. Will we lay down the battle posture so the Lord can clothe us with the truth, so we can come to freedom?
1: And one big part of that that, that choice, that movement into freedom is, is this recognition. Sister said something really important there, that, that forgiveness is in, is injury specific. Forgiveness is of injuries, Dr. Robert Enright teaches us especially, before it's of persons. And if we jump over that, like we'll try to forgive someone over and over and over again without being able to specify like why, what am I forgiving you for? Or, or what am I angry with you for? What made me so bitter and resentful toward you? There are things, objects, acts, injustices that the person committed that make us angry and make us sad. And we have to confront those in every arena of the injury and we actually have to undergo the process for each injury before we can really release overall our hold on the other person. And that sounds like it's a lot of work because we want the quick fix. You know, like I said, Jesus helped me to forgive, make it happen, and it didn't happen. It's usually because he's actually asking us to release every debt. Because all these things they did, they're understood to us in the framework of an injustice. It wasn't fair what you did. You've invoked a debt between us. Anger wants to restore justice. And so if I'm going to move into freedom here, I need to release the way that my heart is, is holding on to the demand for repayment, not just generically to you or my offender, but in each of the ways they offended me. Because it's probably the case that you're thinking about a person or a couple people right now in your life who you know you need to forgive, or maybe it feels even too dangerous right now to start forgiveness, but you know you eventually are going to have to look there. And I would guess with each of those people, they hurt you in, in more than one way. Often it's a long list for each person that that we kind of carry in our hearts in bitterness. They hurt us in a lot of ways. To, To let forgiveness come deeply, to let it become a participation in grace and mercy from the depths from the heart requires a good sense of the debt and then the choice to say, okay, now I know how I'm holding on to you. Now I know what I'm demanding back from you. Now I know how much it hurt me, which is an agonizing process. But it's the confrontation of a broken heart. And and time does not heal a broken heart. Grace, the Lord, mercy, charity, these things heal the broken heart. And so if we don't confront what's broken in us, we're not able to receive Christ when he comes to bring healing to the brokenhearted. So this process uh, of taking an inventory and then choosing with each of the debts to say, I'm just gonna stop demanding you pay me back, touches upon justice or the question of justice. As we look at justice, sometimes our, our fear around forgiveness is like, well, I, if I forgive them, I'm letting them off the hook, or I, I know I'm supposed to pursue justice. It's a, it's a high good. It's one of the key virtues for living well in common. So I can't skip justice. What do I do about forgiveness? What's happening in forgiveness when we choose to, to deeply forgive, we don't skip or eliminate justice. We actually just look out and, and recognize what is, is evident in, in the temporal order and the penal system, in particular, the criminal justice system, we know out there in a criminal scenario that the person who's been hurt is so trapped in pain that they can't see clearly what's just and what's required of justice. And so they have recourse to an unbiased judge and an unbiased jury. It's the criminal process or the penal process. And that is simply because we know a broken heart is just not able to say, here's what you should pay me back, here's how you should suffer. We give that to someone else. In our interpersonal injuries, we are typically playing judge and jury, as well as victim. We're suffering under the pain, and then we're demanding repayment, and demanding they fix it, and telling them how it needs to be fixed. We just can't see clearly enough for that. And so wherever possible, we want to hand off to another authority, a parent, a friend who might mediate, a civil authority if it's a crime, a religious authority, if it's something in the church. But in all cases, in forgiveness, to to forgive, we choose to to take the desire for justice and we we grant it to another, acknowledging that even if there isn't a a temporal, a human other, God will enact justice. No one escapes the justice of God. And so if something happened that's so secret and so painful and you you can't imagine bringing it to light or there's no one to bring it to light to, if you choose to forgive them, you're not letting them off the hook, nor are you skipping justice. You're saying, Lord, I'm asking you to play judge and you to play jury, because you, you actually told me I'm supposed to stop judging, and you told me that if I, if I get stuck in these places, I'm going to end up doing things that are going to lead to my destruction.
0: And I think we can take great refuge in that, that the Lord sees us. And the, th- the things that have happened to you, my dear friends, that have hurt your heart, that is not okay with God. And his heart grieves in these places. And, you know, and imagine in your life, imagine, and I want to love like this, I want to come to a love like this. Imagine in your life being so free where you could authentically, honest, bless those who curse you. Imagine you could be so free that your love for another person was not predicated on how they treated you. And that you had the self-possession and the love to, to be rooted and grounded in love so deeply that you could return love, you could return a blessing. That instead of the ill will that we often wish on people where we secretly wish they would come to a demise or we secretly rejoice when they suffer, that, that just tells us our hearts have been filled with poison. And imagine being so free that we could offer goodwill to the people that have hurt us. That we could offer a blessing where they wounded us. And that doesn't come with minimizing or skipping over. It's, it's what Jesus does. We notice that, that he's being cursed on the cross and he still blesses. And this is possible. For, it is possible for us to love like this, and that's why it's so captivating for us. It's why we see it and we, we know it's beautiful and we want to love like that. And the places where we've failed, the places where we need to ask people to forgive us, we want to be loved like that. Not skipped over, but, but attended to, and everything brought into the light so that we can be healed. And this is the process because really what it is is it's Jesus giving us an undeserved gift. When we give people the gift of forgiveness, we're giving them an undeserved gift. We're giving them love. We're giving them what Jesus gives us. We're loving like Christ. Forgiveness is redemptive suffering. It's how beautiful things happen. And you know what? Just, I, I love what Father John was talking about. It's a process. This is a process. This is a process. This is a process. Is a process and it's wonderful. It's <laughs> wonderful. And we get to keep going. And you know what? Today, in your heart, if all you can say yes to in the Lord is just maybe there's somebody in your life you just wish they were dead. Let's be very honest. We hear all kinds of stories. I wish they would have never been born. We had like death wish upon people or ourselves. Maybe just today for you, you could come to the Lord and say, Lord, I my, my heart's in a lot of pain, but I, I choose to no longer wish they're ill. I choose no longer to wish their death. Lord, I just pray that you would keep them. Or, Lord, that you, you just sustain them, you take care of them. I, I can't do this. That is massive. That is massive. And you know what? As we keep going down this journey, what we, get, what we find about the people who have hurt us, their hearts have been broken. You know, there's a very common saying that hurt people hurt people. Nobody who has hurt you is doing that out of love. <laughs> They're acting out of places like we all do where our hearts have been broken. And so I think when we talk about this area of good news and the beauty of an offering an undeserved gift, this is the rest of the catechism quote. And it says, it is not in our power not to feel or to forget an offense, but the heart that offers itself to the Holy Spirit turns injury into compassion and purifies the memory and transforming the hurt into intercession. Jesus Christ is not asking you to pretend what happened to you didn't hurt or to just to forget about it and get over it. It's so much so that the catechism is reiterating the truth that it's not in our power to forget or to not feel. So the places that your heart hurts, that's Okay. But as we allow the Holy Spirit to come into these places and to transform them, the beautiful redemptive suffering is that it turns the injury that you have received into compassion and, and transforms the whole situation. And imagine being that free, that, this is our faith. This is the beauty of our
1: faith. A turning of injury into compassion. I mean, this is why we speak of forgiveness in Christ and participation in Christ. like Christ upon the cross, looking upon his enemies and, and, and wishing them to be saved. That's the type of shift, that's the type of transformation that he will work in our hearts toward our enemies. Like he will, he will help us to put on his mind and to be transformed by the renewal of our minds through this process. Because he wants to. So when we've undergone these, these eight facets of forgiveness that we named to you, when you look at all eight of them and you see that, that some of them are present, you just look at the ones that are last present or aren't present at all and just ask for the grace to work there. And if you're able to see that there's something of each of them, you're able to say with confidence, I have forgiven to some degree. And with practice, it's going to grow and it's going to grow and it's going to grow until you are toward your enemy the way that Christ is toward his enemies. And I had this very beautiful experience. I just want to share a brief story. I was walking with a religious sister and she's given me full permission to share her story and she's in another country, so you don't know her. But she had been gravely injured by someone in her young years in a traumatic and a tragic and a horrible fashion. One of the most painful injuries I've ever walked through with someone else. And, and we walked through a long forgiveness process. It took her a year and a half to move through all these layers of forgiveness that we've just laid out here. But I'll tell you something, she started the process, not just with emotional pain, but even bodily pain. She had all kinds of health problems, digestive problems, stomach problems, pulmonary stuff. We walked through the forgiveness process. When she got to this person at the end, we did the smaller injuries first, walked through getting helping her stabilize the virtues. We came to the last one, this person who hurt her when she was young. It was so painful for her. She said she just was looking at him and she was sitting in a chapel in this meditation. She's looking at him and said, I just can't forgive him. And then the Lord just prompted her heart. She said, Jesus, I need you to do it for me. And in this meditation, she's hunched up in pain in the corner of the chapel. And she said, Jesus just appeared and walked over to this man. And she just watched Jesus go to this man so broken that he could do that sort of thing and never repent of it, never care that it happened, doesn't even seem to know how painful it was for her. Jesus just went over and put his arms around this man and held him. And she saw that God wants that man in heaven, and it just broke her heart open. She said, How could I not? How could I not come and be with you in that, Lord, even though this is so painful? And what happened next in the meditation is Jesus just turned to her while he had his arm around this man and opened his other arm and beckoned, Come and be with me. She said, With all her might, she got up in this meditation, went over and went into the embrace of Christ, who drew her into the embrace. And she said, From Christ and with Christ and because of Christ, she was able to look at this man and say, I actually want him to go to heaven and Jesus with you because you have done it in you and by your grace in your holy name, Jesus, I forgive him. And you know what you guys, this is no joke. All of those medical conditions that no doctor in the country, no specialist, no alternative medicine specialist could even resolve for her, they resolved themselves. And she realized that even physical stuff was bound up tight as she was holding on to her captor in bitterness and hatred and unforgiveness. So these things we're teaching you, these aren't just like textbook things, these aren't just catechism and scripture quotes that we've worked on and are presenting you with some good ideas. We have practiced these things over many years now and they this is this is the pathway to sharing in Christ's merciful love and in suffering with Christ for the salvation of souls, even including those who have made us suffer the way we've suffered. Just a couple of points to conclude with here about signs that healing has begun to take root what happens in these three and these are not the whole summary of what happens as we are healed through forgiveness we're we're free in forgiveness but we start to notice that we're coming into communion with the lord because in unforgiveness which is specified as a form of hatred when we hold on to unforgiveness we're outside of god when we forgive we come closer to god as forgiveness is perfected we become more godlike merciful and loving toward our enemies And so we don't have to hide from God, and we experience a greater freedom of communion, even a greater participation in the sacramental economy that he's granted to us, a deepened prayer life. Interiorly, we begin to experience what we call a harmony of the human faculties. St. Thomas says that that Christ experienced a total harmony of soul, that he saw what was true, chose it, and, and did so with passion. Whereas we often experience knowing what we should do and our passions moving in the other direction. Knowing we should forgive, but hating our enemies. As we work through these eight layers, these facets of forgiveness, the integration of our passions begins to to come together and we start to experience an interior harmony. There's less fragmentation. There's less division. What was a broken heart is bound up because Christ promised that he came to bind up the brokenhearted. And the way to have the broken heart bound up is the way of mercy, the way of the cross, the way of redemptive suffering, the way he set for us. And as this happens, we also notice a deepened peace about our own stories. Our personal narrative or our sense of who we are over time starts to come together. We notice we don't skip over parts of the story. We don't hide them from God. We begin to acknowledge that like, yeah, my whole story is before you, Lord. And there are broken places. There are painful places. But I've come into grace in those places. I've welcomed your help. I don't have to hate myself anymore. And sister, reference this. But sometimes we'll find that the enemy, the enemy actually is like a younger self. Thomas Aquinas says we can have a a, a relationship. Metaphorically, we can be just toward our younger selves. We can be merciful toward our younger selves. We can be angry toward our younger selves. So if we've done things that we regret, we often hate ourselves for it. So this whole process of forgiveness can actually be undertaken where we see the enemy actually as me, like younger me who did what I did and I hate that I did it. And I can go through those eight layers and I can start to actually move into what we call holy self-love or charity. But now, loving myself as a creature of God, which is the predicate for the commandment of love. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. So often the captivity the brokenness the fragmentation the brokenheartedness is anchored in self-hatred god doesn't hate us god comes to love us and to gather up what had been fragmented and shattered by sin and this is probably the most concrete way that we will experience the unifying healing binding and beautiful gift of christ's freedom through forgiveness
0: and just listening as we conclude here of understanding that this is probably a lot, (laughs) and this is something that you can go back to over and over again, and there are many talks, many versions of this talk on on YouTube and podcast, and I recorded a a meditation, a healing meditation through our podcast on forgiveness, and and it's just kind of helping your heart as you walk through these things of even where you're noticing the eight facets of forgiveness, where do you notice that you have freedom there, where there has been somebody in your life, you're like, yeah, I hated that person for a long time, and I've, I've received freedom there. Or I was finally able, able to name honestly what they did and how it hurt me and I received freedom there. And just noticing maybe part of the story that you wished wouldn't have happened in your life, maybe you can begin to see more and more that Christ was there with you all along. It's the little steps that matter. And as you and I keep going to the deep places, even when it's not easy, as you and I keep going to the deep places, my dear friends, and are honest about these places, Jesus comes to bring us to true freedom because this is why we're here. This is why we're at Seek. So we can come to love like Jesus does, and that's not just a nice thing to put on a t-shirt. <laughs> like this is our life, and it's worth it. So many times people ask me, sister, is it worth it? Is it worth it, is recovery worth it, is sobriety worth it, is forgiveness worth it? Is, it, is it, is being honest in my heart, is it worth it? And I tell you so easily, it's so worth it. It's so worth it. And this is Christ bringing his heart to you, this is what he does for us. He brings us home. So maybe what we could do, could we just pray for a second before we before we end here and Father's gonna give us a final blessing? But I I just wanna honor your heart here in probably a very tender place or just whatever's happening even in your mind and your heart, just to kinda of give your give your heart space to breathe just for a second. So I'm just gonna invite you to take a deep breath, just all the way in. All the way out. I just want to give you a space just to allow whatever's happening in your heart to come to the surface. Maybe you've been thinking about the person that has hurt you. Maybe you're angry with God. Maybe you have a lot of self-hatred for things you've done. I'm just going to allow you just for a second in this place that's very safe, just to allow that to come to the surface. Jesus, I pray that you would surround this place with your love. Surround this place with your reverence, with your kindness, with your tenderness, and with your grace. Lord, I pray that you would make a way in these tender places for your love to pierce our hearts, to open our hearts. So wherever each one of us is today, I pray, Lord, that you would just give us the grace just to open our hearts to you just a little more. You would give us the courage to follow this path toward you. To come to love like you love, Lord. And I I just pray that for every person we're thinking of right now, Lord, that you would bless that person, wherever they are right now. You would bless the people that have hurt us. You would bless us in our younger years. You would bless us right now. Lord, just bless us. Heal us. Forgive us. And bring us to true freedom in your love.
1: Mother Mary, we just ask that you would move through this room in this moment, and that you would go to every single heart. You who endured the cross yourself, you who were pierced in seven ways, you who suffered so much pain, anguish, and did not turn toward the darkness. Please come to us in our places of pain and anguish and just gently tilt our gaze to the light. Please pray for us, dear Mother Mary, hold us up. Teach us the way of perseverance, of resilience, of beauty, through forgiveness and through love. And Dear friends, may Almighty God seal and anoint your hearts with every grace from on high. May He protect you from all agitation and distraction, any doubt, any overly intense emotional response to the truths that He has proclaimed to you here. Through the pierced heart of Jesus, through His healing hands, May Almighty God anoint you and heal you and bless you. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We love you. We will pray for you. Please pray for us. God bless you guys. Thank
0: you. God bless you. Thanks for listening, friends. To hear more content from speakers like this, join us for Seek 24 in St. Louis, January 1st through the 5th. Visit seek.focus.org to learn more.